And then I want to invite you to turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, as we continue our series in Exodus Free at Last, and as we look together at the Ten Commandments. Listen to the word of the Lord in verse 7 of Exodus 20. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Father, we do pray that you now, as all of us sit under the authority of your word, that you would teach us, that you would do that work in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. Uh, In Act 2, Scene 2 of Romeo and Juliet, Shakespeare's character speaks these words uh, to Romeo. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. And of course, Juliet's point is that Romeo's status is not as important as who he is in his essence. His name does not make him uh, any less an object of her love. Thus, her point is that his name does not matter as much as who he is. Now, names may work that way in the arena of romance, and they may work that way in other arenas as well. But there is a name that is not so variable. There is a name that is not so easily dismissed or changed. There is a name that is not just a combination of consonants and vowel sounds, a name that is not just a product of speech. Don't get me wrong, it's a name that can be spoken, it's a name that can be written, but once spoken and written, it encompasses not just the letters that are on the page. What I'm saying is that there is a name that when spoken, or written encompasses all the glory of his person and work, a name by which he reveals all that he is and all that he does. It's a name that uh, he would promise to reveal to Moses in chapter 33 and then fulfill in chapter 34, which I read to you last week, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Indeed, it was the giving of this name which would precede the redeeming acts of God in Egypt in which he exposed the gods of Egypt as no gods at all and the empire of Egypt as no match for the power of his rule and reign. Oh, sisters, isn't just a title. It is the revelation of himself and all that he does and all that he is. This is why the writer of Proverbs 18.10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. That's why Micah 5 declares, for all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we walk in the name of the Lord our 
God forever and ever. Joel 2.32, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, for on Mount, Jeru- Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. God's name, brothers and sisters, is a refuge. God's name is protection. God's name is deliverance. His name is holy. His name is righteous. His name is good. And since God's revelation of Himself is bound up in His name, no wonder He is zealous to protect against the misuse of His name. So, the third commandment calls for God's people to be zealous in their commitment to keep from misusing the name of God in any way. And I believe that this is the thrust of the command, that it is a general command that covers any and all abuses or misuses of God's name, not just the sin of perjury. I believe the Westminster Confession of Faith, which takes this command as covering all the misuses of God's name, is right. Indeed, when the Lord teaches His disciples to pray, He teaches them to say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Set apart be Your name. Your name is beyond any other name. We are to set God's name apart not only only in our worship of God alone, but in how we use His name as well. The Scriptures are clear in this regard and reverent use in our thoughts, our meditations, our words, our writings of God's name, His titles, His qualities, His regulations, His word, His sacraments, prayer, oaths, vows, casting lots, His works, and anything else by which He makes Himself known. This treatment will be reflected in holy affirmations of our faith and conduct that matches our affirmations to the glory of God and to the good of ourselves and others. So, I want to ask this morning and answer the question, what are the reasons there are embedded in this command for why we are to be zealous to protect the name of the Lord, to protect against its misuse? So, uh, we read this, God spoke to Moses and says, God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord." And so, God's name, brothers and sisters, is covenantal. That is, it is the name by which He revealed Himself to His people in personal relationship with them. And in the text before us, God, uh, text before us, this is emphasized in God's words where He says, I am the Lord, your God. You are, you are to not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. 
Thus, to take up God's name in vain, to misuse his name, brothers and sisters, to, uh, is to devalue, to devalue the privilege of the relationship we have with him as the Lord, as his covenant people. God in his love has revealed himself to us in a special way. He is not just the Lord, he is the Lord, our God. He has tied, in other words, brothers and sisters, his name to us. He has bound it to us in order that he might show us his love and his power and his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his forgiveness to folk who don't deserve it, by the way. And to misuse his name then is to show that we don't appreciate this great privilege that has been given to us in relationship with him. But this relationship is important to our God who even when he speaks to redeeming us speaks about the sake of his name as the grounds for this deliverance. In Ezekiel, when God promises, uh, uh, promises a return of his people to the land, he had sent them to an exile uh, because of their sin. He says this to them, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give to your fathers, and there you shall remember your ways and your deeds with which you have defiled yourselves, and you shall loathe yourselves for all the evils that you have committed, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord your God. The point I'm making is that God's revelation of himself to us, the building, uh, the binding of his name to us in personal relationship, uh, in covenant, is a reason for us to care about how we handle the name of the Lord our God. And for all of us who have been baptized into that name through faith in Jesus Christ, we should care about how we treat the name of the Lord. We who have been baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit should care how we speak, how we think, how we act in regard to God's name. We should care because through faith in Christ, He is not just the Lord, He is the Lord our God. God has revealed Himself to us in a personal way, personal way binding himself to us in covenant relationship. He is our God. We are his people through faith in Jesus Christ. And for this reason, we should care how we treat his name and our thought and our speech and our actions. And so the call here is to remind ourselves of this special privilege that we have been given and encourage ourselves and each other to guard it by the power of the Spirit. And this begins first in our own hearts. The Lord loves us, and when we are not thinking, speaking, behaving in ways that hollow His name, He will bring those things to our attention. The call when He does is not to excuse or justify ourselves, but to repent. Our response when the Spirit confronts us should not be to say in our hearts, I lied, swearing by your name because I knew it was the only way to get out of the mess that I had created, or because the other person lied too. And so I believed it would be the only way to right the wrong that was done to me. Or our response should not be, I cursed that person out in anger, using your name because I was mad, and rightly so, because of what they said to me. I wanted them to feel the full weight of my anger 
and they needed to understand fully what they had done to me. Our response should not be, I use the authority of my position in the church to silence that person because I didn't want their testimony to do damage to the church. I did it to protect you, to protect your church. Our response when confronted by the Spirit for the ways we have not honored the name of our covenant Lord should not be excuse-making or justification. Instead, brothers and sisters, it should be repentance. We should also be encouraging each other as God's covenant community to guard the name of our Lord when we see each other speaking and acting in ways that bring dishonor to the Lord's name, we should actually encourage and admonish one another, pray for each other, and call each other to renew faithfulness to the Lord. When we speak falsely or act falsely, attaching the name of the Lord to our actions, we should be lovingly called out and encouraged toward repentance and faith. And this is true no matter who we are and no matter what position we hold in the church. God's name is the revelation of His character, and we should encourage each other to speak and act in ways that help communicate the glory of that character, not the opposite. And so there's a covenantal reason for protecting the use of God's name, but there's also a missional reason for protecting the name of the Lord. Don't forget that this covenant uh, ceremony actually began with these words in chapter 19. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. All of these commandments uh, then have uh, this missional aspect connected to them. Israel is God's chosen people in the midst of the nations. Thus, how they treat God's name not only matters to their personal relationship with God, but also to their witness to the world around them. The misuse of God's name not only affects how God is seen in the church, but, I, but how He is seen by the world as well. Because God has bound His name to us, our speech and our actions in particular in regard to that regard to that name, it can either resound to God's glory to those around us or, 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 or bring about a rejection of that great name. Don't, don't misunderstand me. We cannot diminish who God is in His essence. He is great no matter what we say and no matter what we do, yet what we say and do can impact how those around us respond to our God. How do we know this? Because God Himself tells us when speaking in Ezekiel about his people's actions during the Exodus period, this is what God himself says. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I will pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned among the nations." in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them and bringing them out of the land of Egypt. I, I revealed myself to the people of Israel. I set them in the, in the midst of the nations, and, 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 and no sooner than I had actually spoke the words of the covenant to them, they were already turning for my name. Certainly, the golden calf would be in view here, but also all of Israel's actions, which showed a disdain for God's name during that period. 
God was concerned that his name not be profaned among the nations, that the nations would not see Israel's behavior and mock God as a result of it. And this should encourage us who have been baptized into that name through faith in Jesus to ask a question of ourselves. Are we doing anything personally or corporately to cause the nations to profane the name of our God? Is our speech and our actions those that cause God's name to be glorified or those that cause His name to be rejected? What I'm saying is what I've already said, that misusing God's name isn't just what we say about God, it's about how we act as those who are under His name through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the question is personal, and the question is also practical and should cause us to examine our individual and our corporate lives for those places where we might be speaking, where we might be acting in ways that take God's name in vain. We have a calling to be God's treasured possession, to be His priestly kingdom, to be His holy nation in the world. And how we carry His name into the world will will either help us fulfill that mission or fail in that mission in our generation. And so as we carry God's name into the world, we have a responsibility of guarding against our God's name being profaned because of our speech or because of our actions among the nations. As Christians, we should not be named as those who use the same underhanded tactics that we sometimes see in the world. We should not be among those who are guilty of angry speech that we hide under the guise of being prophetic. Prophetic speech is truth spoken in love that aims at the repentance of those who hear. It is not judgment and condemnation, which is not ours to mete out, but the Lord's. We should not be named among those who lie to win arguments saying things that we know to be untrue so we can try to silence our critics in the name of the Lord. We should be truth-tellers and people who promote truth-telling in the world around us. We should not be those who promote violence in the name of the Lord, rejoicing in the death of others, speaking of people as getting what they deserved. Since all of us deserve death, we should rather rejoice in the love of God that has saved us from death through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And so we should therefore promote in the name of the Lord what protects and sustains and causes life to flourish in the world. The point is that when we speak and act in the name of the Lord in practical ways to those around us, we should be promoting God's glory, not promoting our own selfish ends. We should not be using the name of the Lord to to get what we want. Amen, people of God. So there's a covenantal reason to protecting his name. There is a missional reason for protecting the use of the Lord's name. And then there's a disciplinary reason for protecting the name of our God. Uh, Look back again at verse 7. In the second half of the verse, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. To put it plainly, God will discipline those who misuse his name. 
And the general nature of this word speaks to God's freedom in determining what the nature of the discipline should be. Yes, God loves us. Yes, he is full of compassion and mercy and grace toward us. Yes, we are his covenant people in relationship to him through faith in Jesus Christ. But the writer of Hebrews reminds us of a side of this love that we do not always remember and do not always regard. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, as children. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which we have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. God is zealous about his name. And he is zealous in training us to love his name and to hold it in the respect and honor that we should, as those created in His image and after His likeness, as those have been, who have been called to be His special people, His chosen people, His priestly kingdom, His holy nation. God's zealous for His name and training us to love His name. This, again, is why the Lord's Prayer starts with, Our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be Your name. And when we don't hallow the name of our God, God is faithful in His love to discipline us such that we might learn to respect Him as the Lord. But this should also motivate us to train up our children, to admonish one another, to respect the name of the Lord in all that we think and do and say. We should not treat it lightly. We should not treat lightly the ways in which God's name is sometimes disregarded among us. When we break our vows, when we twist God's uh, when we twist God's word to evil ends, when we perjure ourselves, when we use God's name to gain a perverse power over others, or or or, or feed or feed our greed, in these circumstances and more, we, we should in love call each other away from these things and toward faithfulness to the Lord. The Lord loves us, and for that reason, He walks with us even in discipline to teach us to honor Him in our thoughts and our speech and our actions. But remember that now that we are in Christ, that discipline is a reminder that we are His children, a privilege we have because Jesus Christ laid down His own life in order to bring many sons to glory. (laughs) Israel was going to fail and was going to be disciplined by the Lord in that failure, yet that discipline would be for the purpose of drawing her back to himself and training her to carry his name rightly in the world. The same is true for us in Jesus. So even if you have failed in this area of your walk with the Lord, please know there's forgiveness, and there's grace, and there's kindness, and there's mercy from God because he wants to train you and teach you to love his name above all things. The passage I quoted from Hebrews, the writer says to the people that they have forgotten the exhortation that addressed them as sons, as children of God. 
That exhortation was an exhortation of God's fatherly discipline for all those who are His children. And while the context of the narrative is different, the principle is not. God had already uh, taken the people of Israel to be His people. He was already their father through faith, uh, the faith of their forefather Abraham. Now He was forming them into a nation, yet the same calling was upon them that was upon Abraham to walk in faithfulness to the Lord. But God knows our weakness. He knows our sins. So part of his commitment is discipline that brings us back time and time again to our calling. It is the discipline of a father who loves his children. Amen, people of God. But just read the Old Testament narrative, and you will see God, a God who is consistently pleading with his people through his words, through his acts of discipline, to walk in his ways, to carry his name rightly in the world. With the arrival of Jesus in the new covenant, which is far superior to the covenant under Moses, God maintains his fatherly care for us, which includes correction and love. All I'm saying is this, is that we remember this truth when we are tempted to go astray in regards to this command to protect the name of God. Remember it because it is meant to discourage us from that sin and call us toward obedience to the Lord. Remember it because you are under discipline. That remember it because when you are under discipline, God does not want you to be discouraged, but encouraged toward renewed faithfulness to Him. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes His name in vain. And God reminds us of why He calls us to this. It's because we are His people. It's because He has given us a calling in this world, and it's because God promises, as we carry His name in the world, to train us, to discipline us, to love His name above all names. Amen, people of God? Lord, teach us this, we pray, in Your name. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank You for this Word. We thank You for this reminder that Your name is above all names, that you desire that we would carry your name faithfully into the world, that we would speak and think and act in ways, Lord, that guard the glory of your name, which is the revelation of your character. Father, we pray indeed that as we think and speak and act in your name, Lord, that you would teach us to guard it, to protect it, to honor it, to respect it, that those around us, Lord, may see that you are God, that you are Lord, and that beside you there is no other, that they may see the glory of your character, your love, your justice, your mercy, your forgiveness, your grace, all that you are. I pray, Lord God, that as we speak and act, people might see that and might rejoice in you. We pray this and ask this in Jesus' mighty name for us and for all of those who are called by your name. Amen.